You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Oh my God, you guys, he's in there. He's in the movie and I couldn't be prouder of him. All right, before I tell you who's in what, if you haven't seen Barbie yet and you're planning to see Greta Gerwig's wonderful, demented, amazing, anarchic new Barbie movie, her hit new Barbie movie took in more than $150 million this weekend, including about 15 of mine. If you're planning to see Barbie, be warned, there are going to be a couple of spoilers in my intro this week. They are mild ones, minor ones. I am not giving away any major plot points, and I'm certainly not going to give away the film's final line. Worth the price of admission all by itself. The theater I was in exploded in cheers. But you've been warned. I'm warning you right now. If you haven't seen Barbie yet and you're planning to and you want everything to be a surprise, don't listen to this week's intro until after you've seen Barbie. All right. So who's in there? Earring Magic Ken is in there. Earring Magic Ken is in the movie. There are a lot of Kens in Barbie. There are a lot of Barbies in Barbie, and that'll make sense to you once you've seen the movie. Ryan Gosling, of course, plays the most important Ken, and Margot Robbie, who is beautiful and hilarious, plays the lead Barbie. They're the Barbie and Ken who leave Barbie world and enter the real world. But the Ken I care about, the Ken I have a personal and professional connection with going back decades, that Ken is played by Tom Storton, an actor you might have seen in The Spy Who Dumped Me, Horrible Histories, The Windsor. He was released, that Ken, Earring Magic Ken, in 1993 and discontinued in 1994, despite being the best-selling Ken doll of all time. Earring Magic Ken came in a box wearing tight black jeans, a lavender mesh t-shirt that showed off his abs, a purple leather jacket with the sleeves cut off to show off his arms, and he had an earring. Of course he had an earring. He's Earring Magic Ken. But he also came with something else, something around his neck. More on that in a second. Gotta say, Earring Magic Ken doesn't play as prominent a role in Barbie as you would think the best-selling Ken doll of all time might, but I was worried he wouldn't be included at all due to a controversy that I helped to create with a story I wrote in 1993 that had the headline, Cockring Magic Ken. You see, the other thing Earring Magic Ken was wearing on a chain around his neck was a big round silver ring. Every gay man who saw that doll in 1993 instantly recognized that ring, that charm hanging on a silver chain around Ken's neck. And we recognized it as a cock ring. Wearing a cock ring on a chain around your neck like a pendant, that was something gay men were doing in the late 80s and early 90s. It signaled to anyone who saw it, who would know what it was, that you were gay too, and that you were sex positive at a time, the height of the AIDS crisis, when a lot of us weren't feeling really great about sex. And it signaled something else. Depending on how big that ring on the chain around your neck was, it gave some hint as to how big your dick might be. The bigger the cock ring on the chain around your neck, the bigger the dick in your pants, at least in theory. Some guys engaged in false advertising wearing cock rings that were too big for their actual cocks. But by the time you figured that out, it was literally and figuratively too late to pull out. To say that Earring Magic Ken was gay-coded, understatement of the previous century. I'm trying to think of a way Mattel could have packaged that doll to make the gay coding of Earring Magic Ken any more explicit. And the only thing I can come up with is Ken not coming in that iconic Barbie box, but Ken coming floating in a jar of J-Lube like Piss Christ. People under the age of 40 might want to take a moment to Google Piss Christ. It was an artwork created by Andres Serrano in the 80s. It showed a plastic crucifix submerged in a jar of piss. It's kind of a beautiful photo. And that photograph, Serrano's photograph, was a defining culture war flashpoint in the 1980s, as big or bigger than Dylan Mulvaney holding a can of Bud Light with her face on it. There were congressional hearings, there were boycott threats, people lost their jobs. Sometimes it's comforting to look back on forgotten battles in the long culture wars because it reminds us that 
they do pass. Anyway, my story about Earring Magic Ken was the first thing I ever wrote that got national attention. Mattel, Mattel was selling a toy to little girls, a Ken doll that came with a cock ring, which was doubly nuts because Ken doesn't have a cock as the Barbie movie goes out of its way to remind us more than once. I got a PR person at Mattel on the phone. I told her what that thing was hanging around Ken's neck and she denied it was what it clearly was telling me we are not in the business of putting cock rings into the hands of little girls, which was exactly what they were doing, even if they didn't realize it, even if that wasn't the business that they were trying to do, that was the business at that moment that they were doing. I've always wondered if someone in development at Mattel, some gay dude didn't do it at first as a joke, add the cock ring to the initial drawings and renderings, maybe to the prototype. Sure that someone further up the chain of command at Mattel would spot it for what it was and flag it and demand that it be removed before it went to market. And then no one did until I did. I don't want to criticize Barbie at all because uh, because of course, because the right is coming for Barbie, complaining about Barbie, missing the point about Barbie. So over here on the left, the impulse is to defend Barbie, not just to defend it, but to declare the movie perfect in every possible way. When in actuality, I loved that movie. I lo I'm going to go see it again, but it does drag a little bit in the real world. One character pulls a 180 on Barbie, going from hating Barbie to loving Barbie that doesn't seem fully motivated. The big Ken dance battle, the big battle of all the Kens, which was amazing to watch. Could have been cut. And I gotta say, when Earring Magic Ken appeared on the screen, I was worried Gerwig had chickened out because the cock ring wasn't there. It was replaced with a necklace that had Barbie's name on it. Barbie on a chain around Ken's neck instead of the cock ring on the chain around Earring Magic Ken's neck. But during the credits, stay for the credits, they show Earring Magic Ken and a whole bunch of other dolls, but they show Earring Magic Ken very prominently and he has nothing around his neck. And then... The cock ring on the silver chain floats down into the shot, landing around Ken's neck, and it sparkles. It's as if they didn't want me to miss it. A quick word about those right-wing critics coming for Barbie, like Ben Shapiro, who set Barbie and Ken dolls on fire to protest the movie, which in the logic of the Barbie film means Barbie World now has a burn ward, which is almost too terrible to contemplate. Anyway, Barbie shows us a world where the boys are second-class citizens, where boys, where men, are treated as merely decorative objects, as accessories. A world where men don't own or control anything or hold any positions of power. And the message of the film, in the end, is that this world, a world where men are objects and second-class citizens, is unworkable and unjust and unfair to men. Just as unfair, just as unworkable, just as unjust as a world where girls and women are second-class citizens who exist to be decorative objects. It's not an anti-male message. It's not pro-misandry. It's anti-misandry and anti-misogyny at the same time, which is probably what's confusing right-wing critics. The real world, like the Barbie world, the movie tells us, doesn't have to pick one or the other. It can reject both. My biggest criticism, saving it for last, well, less of a criticism, more of a note I would have given had I seen the screenplay in advance of the film being shot. As happy as I was to see Earring Magic Ken in the movie, I was sad not to see boys playing with Barbies. Barbie goes into the real world where she encounters kids who played with Barbie when they were younger, and Barbie has to think about the complicated and sometimes conflicting feelings girls have about her. Barbie thought she was empowering little girls, while little girls, once they outgrew their Barbies, saw Barbie differently. I don't think the movie needs to be about gay boys. There's a quick nod to the existence of gay people once Barbie and Ken make it to the real world in the form of some gay guys at the beach ogling Ken. But you know who was left out of this movie? All those gay men out there who played with their sisters' Barbies or their friends' Barbies when they were boys and were made to feel ashamed of themselves. Some were bullied for it, some were forbidden from playing with Barbies, some made the mistake of asking their parents for Barbie dolls for their birthdays or Christmases, and got yelled at, shamed, bullied by their own families. And I wanted a glance in their direction, a nod 
to the little brother of the gay best friend who loved playing with Barbies too. Those boys are more important to Barbie's story. They're more important to Barbie's legacy than Earring Magic can. And if I had to choose between seeing one of those boys in this movie and seeing Earring Magic Ken in this movie, I would have picked one of those boys. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's on the micro, also on the micro, Dr. S. Max Vale, a dermatologist professor, joins me to talk about whether men should be rubbing their cum onto their heads. Does that prevent hair loss or does that just make the hair you have stick to your head? Dr. Bell has the answer. And on the Magnum, evolutionary biologist Dr. Matilda Brindle joins me to discuss her research into monkeys and apes that masturbate, why they do it, why we do it, and what all that wanking tells us about monkeys, about apes, about primates, and about ourselves. All that coming up on today's show. Hi, Dan. I'm a 34-year-old straight cis woman living in the Pacific Northwest. I have an I'm in love with my best friend situation. Uh, He's 35, comes from a conservative Catholic Mexican family. Uh, We met four, almost five years ago when I was coming out of a long-term relationship. We were the only single folks in our group friends and naturally we gravitated toward toward each other for company outside of our group dynamic. Uh, maybe three or four months into our friendship, he invited me to a party. Everyone kept asking if we were dating. We said, no, no, no. Then the seed was planted for me. I got drunk. He takes me home. I text him after he leaves to come back and snuggle with me. He texts me back to snuggle with my dog. I roll over and pass out. The next morning, he tells me he didn't mean for that to be rude, but really just wants to keep things as friends as he doesn't want to rock our friend group. So heard, fine, got it, moving on, not losing any sleep over it. Two years pass, and I find myself spending two or three days together during the week and then entire weekends with him, just the two of us. One day we spent breakfast, lunch, dinner, and then watched movies until like 2 a.m. He leaves, and I'm feeling confused what it all means. There aren't any major indications he's gay. I don't get that vibe. He drops that that girl's hot here and there, but as long as I've known him, I haven't really seen him with anyone or expressed any interest in someone else, so maybe asexual? So I ask him in another text, is there a romantic spark here? Uh, we're spending a lot of time together. What does this mean for you? Uh, He responds that he really enjoys our friendship and doesn't want to fuck it up and wants to remain as friends. Heard again. This time, though, I'm pretty much over it and don't want to waste my time on someone who isn't going to pursue me in a romantic way. So I take this to mean there's a shift in our friendship for me and my brain, and it's 100% platonic. So I'm no longer holding back. He now gets to hear about all of my dating, my sexcapades, my crushes, etc., everything that everyone else gets to hear about. So... All of this makes him uncomfortable. He's shifty, doesn't look me in the eye, finds ways to change the subject. And now here we are two years later, spending more time together than ever, currently planning a two-week vacation to the UK in the summer. My feelings are back in full force. But now I'm deeply, madly head over heels in love with this person. I'm at the point now where if it were any other time or scenario, I'd bring it up immediately in person and just get on with it. But now we have this trip coming up where we're going to be sharing rooms, everything's paid for, and I just don't want to make awkward for everyone. So I'm going to just hold out a little bit longer. So my question for you is this, how do I go about this? Um, He's my best friend and I'd be so sad to lose the friendship by pestering him about it again for a third time. But also my feelings, if feelings aren't reciprocated again, I have to separate myself from this friendship relationship. It's not fair for me to keep going as we've been going. I'm interested in finding love and this friendship is definitely holding me back. But I also want to be able to be there for my friend, if there's something bigger going on inside of him, uh, how can I best in a supportive way be there for my friend while also processing my big feelings? I don't know how you keep this trip from being awkward. I'm not even coming along on this trip and it's making me feel awkward just knowing it's gonna go down. This, this just seems like such a bad, bad idea. Twice you've said to this guy that you are romantically and sexually attracted to him, that you're in love with him. And twice he's shut you down. Why do you keep dashing yourself against these same rocks in this same way? Why would you even be going on this trip with him and staying in the same room with him if you weren't hoping against hope that when you ask the third time, which in a way the trip is the ask, the kind of romance and intimacy that's bundled into this trip is the third ask. You're hoping to get a different answer. I don't know how this trip doesn't end in a disaster. I don't know how this trip doesn't end with you in some pub somewhere in the UK, 
bawling your eyes out because for whatever reason, for reasons that he may continue not to share with you, he doesn't feel for you the same way you feel for him. And as that is most likely going to continue to be the case, it seems unfair of him and unkind of him to have allowed himself to play such an enormous role in your life, to occupy the kind of emotional space and territory that someone who did reciprocate your big feelings should occupy. You know, when you're in love with someone and they are not in love with you, it sometimes feels for that person, you know, the object of someone else's affection. It feels like making yourself available to this person who's in love with you, being there for them is the kind thing to do. And in reality, it can be unkind because it's often the feeling of absence. It's often the vacuum that is created when the person that you fell in love with, who doesn't love you, exits your life that creates the kind of motivation and momentum that drives you to go find somebody who feels about you the same way that you feel about them or is open to catching big feelings for you. And so this person continuing to kind of be your romantic partner slash best friend just without love or commitment or sex or snuggling. This person who, when you said, come snuggle with me, said snuggle with your fucking dog. What he's doing right now is, I don't want to say it's malicious. It's not malicious, but it is thoughtlessly unkind because you once again have succumbed to these big feelings for him and you live in what must be, what you should regard and I regard as a kind of false hope that he's going to come around, that he's going to feel differently. And hey, maybe it'll happen. And I'm sure this is what you're subconsciously or consciously hoping will happen. You'll be on this big romantic trip together and he'll look at you and the sun will be coming through the trees. It'll be like something out of a Jane Austen novel and he'll climb out of the pond in a soaking wet shirt and realize that he's loved you all. That's not most likely going to happen. And if that was going to happen, it wouldn't have to happen in the UK. It wouldn't have to happen on a vacation. It would have happened by now already. I don't know if it's too late to buy a little travel insurance and maybe gin up a reason that you can cancel this trip. But if I were your gay best friend and you were telling me about this and maybe I am your gay best friend right now and you did tell me about this, that is what I would tell you to do. Find a reason that you can back out of this trip or go on some other trip alone. Fuck, go to Europe alone. You never know who you might meet traveling in Europe alone where there was, you know that vacuum where there was an absence acutely felt where you were alone and then actively looking not at someone who's already rejected you twice, but actively looking at all the other guys in Europe and everywhere else and at home who might want you, want you the way you've wanted him and want you the way you want to be wanted and deserve to be wanted. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-30s, late-life lesbian who came out in 2018. During the pandemic, I fell in love with what I thought was and moved in with the most amazing, passionate, sexually compatible person I've ever met in my life. She and I had a fire of a relationship that sucked me dry. Uh, it ended up being really emotionally abusive, and it brought to light a reality of a lot of the depression and self-esteem issues that I knew I was still dealing with within myself. The relationship was very bad. I won't go into too many of the details. It was just emotionally controlling. I left, left my home state up in Washington and moved down to the south to live with my conservative but kind and supportive family who I love very much. Through them and therapy, I have found myself again, established a good job, and I'm on my way to get my own place. A year ago, my last straight partner passed away suddenly from cancer. I found out 
after the fact, a month after the fact. We had spoken once on the phone several months prior, which was even prior to their diagnosis, um, but they truly are the only person I've ever loved. But they were also the relationship where I discovered that I wasn't straight. It was a hard thing to end as I had so many expectations built into that straight relationship, but letting them go, getting therapy, and accepting my gay and queerness was one of the best things that ever happened to me. I feel more connected to who I am than ever, even though I'm deeply grieving and sometimes wake up with no idea what I'm doing. I guess I'm calling because I'm a mid-30s, late-blooming lesbian. I've had two lesbian relationships. Uh, my most recent one I recently ended because, again, I'm just not complete. There's parts of me that aren't willing to let go and fully let somebody in. There's huge parts of me that are still grieving for my dead ex-boyfriend. Even though I'm doing all the right steps with therapy, talking to friends, crying at appropriate times, processing emotions, I still don't feel like I'm whole. Do you have any advice for a mid-30s lesbian who just needs to finish figuring out who they are and what their identity is? How to connect with their queer community, which at times can be challenging. What to look for in therapy to really figure out who they are. Sometimes I feel like it's hard to get a therapist to, to move on from the initial trauma that you go to them for. I've had two therapists, once the main trauma is healed, be stuck on that and not be able to move on to the new things I want to focus on. Like my professional career and finding my place and a way to give back to my queer community in a very bigoted state that I decided to move to. I'm happy. I'm happier than I've ever been, Dan. I'm happy as someone who almost ended their life before finally accepting they were gay. And I still feel incredibly lost. Not every therapist is a good therapist or not every therapist. I'm sure all therapists are great therapists. Not every therapist is the right therapist for us at a particular time, which is why people don't continue to see the same therapist necessarily all their lives. If instead of your therapist helping you stitch up a wound and allowing it to heal over and then moving on, your therapist is keeping emotional wounds open, well, then maybe they're just not the right therapist for you. Uh, one of the things I think people learn to do in therapy is know their own minds, know themselves, and express their own agency. And one of the ways that you can do that, one of the ways you can prove to a therapist, as painful as it might be, that they actually helped you is to end that therapeutic relationship and move on. And sometimes instead of therapy, you know what I like? You know what I think is good? What can be helpful are Broadway musicals because there's almost always a Broadway musical for everything. And listening to your question, you don't feel whole. You don't feel entirely there. You don't feel entirely comfortable in your own skin. Okay, everybody feels that way. That's not unique to you for now, which is the big finale. And Avenue Q opens with a character says, I don't know why I'm alive. Another character says, well, who does really? Everyone's a little bit unsatisfied. Everyone goes around a little empty inside. I think that's really wise. We look at other people who seem happy, healthy, functional, and they are happy, healthy, and functional. Most people are happy-ish, healthy-ish, functional-ish most of the time, but they have their moments. Everyone has their moments of feeling empty inside, feeling broken, feeling like they're going through the motions unsure of themselves. And what do you do with that? Well, I think on some level, you accept that. That this isn't a problem that you can solve. It is a contradiction that you will always live with. That these moments of feeling broken or empty inside or not whole are going to exist in you side by side with all of those moments where you feel happy and fine. Your other big question, how do you connect with the queer community? You leave the house. You get away from your computer. You go places. You do things. You volunteer for shit. You say you're in the South now. Things are dire for queer people in red states. All hands on deck. It is an all hands on deck moment. There are certainly organizations in your state, in the community where you live, that could use volunteers, people to lick envelopes, people to go and testify before a shitty state legislative committees that are about to do shitty things. Also, though, 
queer people at moments like this, queer people at all moments need to connect and experience and create joy together. So if politics isn't your thing, join a queer social organization, join a queer kickball league, go out to one of those lesbian bars that are always on the verge of closing and buy everybody around and tip the fucking bartenders 50%. Get out there, move through the world, meet people, do things. You know, I am sometimes approached in public, <laughs> which I, I don't mind actually approached in public by some queer people who have confided in me that they feel lonely and they feel isolated and they don't feel like they're part of the queer community. And one of the things I will ask someone who confides that in me is what have they done over the last few weeks? Where have they gone over the last month? And invariably they stayed at home and I'm sorry, the queer community is not going to kick down your door and throw a dance party in your living room. If you want to connect with the queer community, which is vast and diverse and has lots of different sub-communities, you have to find your people. It's like going to a massive state university and not leaving your dorm room is such a missed opportunity because there's so many different kinds of people that once you get to college or big state university as opposed to a fucking high school, there's just lots of people who are like you, who might get you, but you got to get off your ass and go find them. Same thing with the queer community, the tiny percentage of population, but it is a not insignificant and growing for people who are 30 and under percentage of the population, but they're not going to show up on your block with a battering ram and knock down your door. You've got to put yourself out there. And that's going to be awkward at first. You're going to feel weird. The first time you volunteer for an org or show up for that kickball game or go to that lesbian bar, you're going to feel self-conscious because you don't know anybody. Stick around. Half an hour later, you're going to watch somebody else walk into that lesbian bar you walked into a half an hour ago who is a half an hour less comfortable in that lesbian bar than you are now. Say hi to that person. Make friends with that person. Buy them a drink and have a chat. You want to find your people? You got to get out of your apartment and away from the fucking internet and meet your people. Some people are turned on by visuals. Some people are turned on by voices and stories. Those people, people who prefer to hear a story and use their own imagination are likelier to be women, which is why I highly recommend Dipsy to the women out there who listen to the Lovecast. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. At Dipsy, you'll discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. Here's a selection of some of the descriptions from the hunks category. Jack, a broody hometown crush with a secret sensitive side. Issa, a lustful lawyer who's on top both in and outside the courtroom. Mark, an ex-Marine turned yoga instructor, my favorite kind of ex-Marines. He's strict but kind. And my favorite, Evan, an Irish stable hand from the 1800s who's anything but a gentleman. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new at Dipsy. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and useful workshops like self-massage, massage for a partner, breathwork exercises, a sexting tutorial, and tons of other classes and sexy stories you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner or your whole polycule. In all honesty, I gotta say I'm jealous. I'm one of those rare men who prefers voices to visuals. I love a good story. I'm jealous there isn't something like Dipsy out there for gay men. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you, dipsystories.com slash savage. Hey, Dan, I'm a 42-year-old New Zealander. So I heard that cum could help with hair regrowth. And it definitely looks that way on my stomach. 
<laughs> I've been dabbing a bit of cum and on my receding hairline. So once I heard a kind of a sexpert talking about how drinking cum had a lot of um, health benefits, kind of went hyperbolic on it. I don't know, have you heard any anecdotal evidence or are there any studies about what cum can do for you? Joining me to help tackle this question, Dr. S. Max Vale is a clinical assistant professor in the Division of Dermatology at the University of Washington. He also sees patients in his private practice, Kirkland Dermatology Associates. Hey, Dr. Vale, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a great question to tackle. Uh, first time I've thought about it. Um, I think what's really interesting before I even answer the question is, is you know, when we're kids, we're told masturbation is going to cause hairy palms or baldness. And now we've come full circle that how about we use the products of sex or masturbation to regrow hair. If, if, if coming on your stomach makes your stomach hairy, I want to know where all these men with hairy backs are coming from. <laughs> Suddenly hairy backs are very sus. You know, there's some some images that come to mind. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's unfortunately no data to suggest that uh, using semen will regrow hair on any part of the body. There's really no data to use semen for almost any skincare uh, goal at this point. Doesn't mean it won't come in the future, uh, but not for now. There were some studies, uh, maybe dubious studies, and not a lot of studies that found that cum can have, uh, can function as a sort of natural antidepressant. There's a famous study out of Seattle University of New York in 2022 that found that young women who didn't use condoms with their male partners who were exposed to semen on a regular basis were less likely to be depressed, show signs of depression or anxiety than women who did use condoms. And a lot was extrapolated from that. That's the only topical use of cum having any impact on somebody's health, mental or otherwise, that I've ever heard about. I've never heard that cum is Rogaine or Rogaine is cum. Yeah, I'd stick to the Rogaine probably. I mean, I think it's interesting. People have been looking for kind of uh, ways to harvest your own body parts for health benefits. I mean, you know, in dermatology now, PRP or platelet-rich plasma is really in vogue. Uh, the vampire facial, you know, spinning down your own blood, harvesting that plasma, the growth factors, and injecting it into your face. We actually use that for hair loss, and there's some good data for that. Uh, those growth factors can be injected, but I don't, I don't know anyone's looking at it cum for that. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone should keep experimenting with cum because there may be a breakthrough sooner or later. We can keep exploring. And it's not going to hurt you putting cum on your head. Yeah, it probably won't hurt you. There are, there are some case reports of people having kind of an allergic reaction to some of the, uh, there's some enzymes called proteases in cum that break down proteins and things like that. So for some people, it can be irritating, but otherwise you're safe. Some people do have allergic reactions, uh, sometimes to one person's cum, not another person's cum. Um, also, cumming is good for you, right? It's less likely to develop prostate cancer if you're flushing those pipes, but also just good for mood, good for mental health, just good for you generally, masturbating or having sex. Doctor exactly, recommended. Yeah. You're a doctor. Yeah. You should recommend. Doctor recommended. Doctor recommended. <laughs> doctor S. Maxwell, clinical assistant professor in the Division of Dermatology at the University of Washington, sees private patients at Kirkland Dermatology Associates. Doctor Bell, thank you again for jumping on the phone today. I want. I, I had a hunch that there wasn't anything to this, but I wanted to run it by an actual doctor. Well, thanks so much for having me. The Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for you to stand out and succeed online. Whether you're just starting out or managing a growing venture, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything from your products to your content to your time, all in one place, all on your terms. Squarespace rolled out a new website design system called Fluid Engine. They've made it easier to tap into your creativity, even if you don't have any design experience. Start with a website template that you like and customize every design detail with new drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. It's built in and ready to go on any new Squarespace site. Keep organized with their asset library. Upload, organize, and access all your content from one place. With the new asset library, you're able to manage all your files from one central hub and use them across the Squarespace platform. If you put out video content, Squarespace is awesome. You can host videos, organize your video library, and showcase your stuff on beautiful pages and sell access to your videos. Head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. 
And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Dear Dan, during a fight with my boyfriend, he said he didn't want to be intimate with me, but I was even worse and said I've had better cock than him. That wasn't true, and I apologized, asking what I could do to make it up to him. His reply was to have a threesome, which made me feel uncomfortable and manipulated. He's been talking about a threesome ever since we got together. What should I do? Sincerely, Olive Branch, Pussy. If a woman owes her boyfriend a threesome because there's better dick out there in the world, then every woman owes her boyfriend a threesome because there's always better dick out there in the world. Look, I think threesomes are great. I may be biased. I happen to have lost my virginity in an MMF threesome many, many years ago. I've had a lot of threesomes. I think they're awesome. I watched Pete Davidson and John Mulaney do a bit on SNL once where as two famous straight guys who are on television and celebrities, they groused about the fact that neither had ever had a threesome. And I felt so bad for them. And I had to sit with my threesome privilege at that moment because when you're gay, it's not that hard to have a threesome because everybody can theoretically at least enjoy everybody else at the threesome equally a little bit trickier when people are straight because if you're not into women, there's nothing in having that other woman there for you except maybe jealousy. There's a minefield to tiptoe through, but it is a standard off the shelf fantasy For almost all straight guys, that FFM threesome. And when you look at the research, look at the data for lots of straight and bi women, MMF and FFM threesomes. But making it up to your boyfriend that you made a shitty comment is a terrible reason to have a threesome. And if you're not interested in having a threesome and it's not something that you ever want to do for any reason, no matter what you've said or done, that it isn't a form of penance as far as you're concerned, you need to permanently remove threesomes from the table. And if they're really that important to your boyfriend, if having a threesome is that important to your boyfriend, if it is a bucket bucket list item that he has got to experience at some point in his life, well then maybe you're not right for each other. Maybe you're sexually incompatible. That said, you know, not everybody gets what they want. If Never having a threesome is a price of admission that he's willing to pay to be with you and occasionally having to listen to him grouse about it or attempt to manipulate you gently, wheedle, beg, so long as he doesn't cross a line into coercion is something, you know, a price of admission you're willing to pay to be with him. You don't have to break up, but you don't have to have a threesome with him because you told him the truth that there is better dick out there. Maybe it's not true that you've had better dick, but there's definitely better dick out there. There's always better dick out there. Mattresses. When you think about how much time you spend on your mattress every night, and then you think about how long you stick with one mattress, you should get the best mattress you can. And that mattress, without question, is a Helix Sleep Mattress. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix Sleep lineup offers 14 unique mattresses, including a new collection of six luxury models called Helix Elite. These mattresses are loaded up with super high-tech features like a built-in cooling cover, comfort layers tailored to sleeping position support, and edge reinforcement. And every Helix Elite mattress comes with a 15-year manufacturer's warranty and the same 100-night trial as the rest of Helix mattresses. Take the Helix Sleep Quiz now to find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and your personalized mattress will be shipped straight to your door free of charge for that 100-night trial. You get to try out your new Helix mattress, see how your body adjusts, and if you decide it's not the best fit for you, you are welcome to return it for a full refund. Right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash savage for 20% off. This is their best offer yet. It won't last long. Go to Helix. Go now with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Hi, Dan. I am a 24-year-old 
woman. Um, one of my friends moved to Chicago with his girlfriend while she goes to law school, and they came back to the city for the summer. He's a really close friend. We've gotten quite close over the past year, been playing video games together. We went out with our friend group. It's a very close friend group, like 10 guys and then me. And we all got really drunk, and him and I hooked up. And he's in a five-year committed relationship. We didn't have PIV. He just ate me out. But still, it has wreaked havoc on our friendship. He is banned from his house with his girlfriend. And he is staying on the boy's couch. It was for one week. And now it's for four weeks, possibly. And then she'll reconsider. He's trying to get the girl back. Maybe temporary. Maybe the whole summer that he's staying there. But he does not want to see me or contact me. And I have been told to not come to the boy's house, which is kind of the central space that we all hang out at. And he lives there and I can't go. And I'm feeling ostracized and kind of like I'm the one getting the shit end of the stick, even though I didn't commit to his girlfriend of five years like I, <laughs> he gets to hang out with our friends every day I mean I know that's probably not how he's looking at it but like I feel lonely he's surrounded by our friends I don't know it's starting to like piss me off instead of feeling guilty I'm more feeling angry I guess that that I'm put in this position I don't know what do I do can I be mad at him <laughs> Can I tell him to just grow up and, like, let me be in the same space as him and just don't talk to me? I don't feel like I owe anything to his girlfriend. Like, obviously, I feel guilty. But also, I did not make the commitment to her. I just got drunk and hooked up with a friend, which is not great for the friend dynamic, but it happens. You move on. It doesn't have to blow up the entire friendship. I thought I've been friends with him for, like, five or six years i'm just yeah i don't i don't really know what to do erections have consequences well i guess an erection didn't come into play here or not a direct penis just cunnilingus he went down on you he ate you out so in this case cunnilingus has consequences and one of the chief consequences for you right now is you're going to have to look elsewhere for companionship for friendship you're going to have to find some other people to hang out with. Ah, look, it sucks. And you're not entirely blameless here. You didn't just get drunk and hook up with a friend. You got drunk and hooked up with a friend who is in a relationship. You got drunk and hooked up with a friend who had just moved to town with their partner, with his partner of five years. And everybody found out and it created a lot of drama and Right now, I'm sure you can understand this impulse, even if you don't like being on the receiving end of it. Right now, the person who was cheated on doesn't want her boyfriend, although he's in the doghouse or at the friend's house, to be spending time with the person he cheated on her with. And so you're currently exiled from wherever it is that he might be and where he's staying, where he's couch surfing right now happens to be the main party house where all y'all hang out. Look, it sucks. Obviously, the friends that you have in common right now, they're not punishing you, but they are choosing him and choosing doing what they can do to help save his relationship because that must be what he wants over spending time with you. And it sucks to realize that there was a certain hierarchy in your friendships that you didn't perceive. And then an event like this brings it into view. These people, your mutual friends value their relationship with this guy or his relationship with his girlfriend over getting to spend time with you in the short term while they work this out. Doesn't mean you're never going to see these people again, but right now it's too complicated to see these people because he doesn't want to see you and he's with them and he doesn't want to see you because his girlfriend doesn't want him seeing you for reasons that I think you could wrap your head around. So 
yeah, it sucks. Actions, corrections have consequences. You made a bunch of choices when you were drunk. You fucked around and found out not who your friends were. I'm sure these people actually like you, but who in a crunch situation like this your mutual friends are going to prioritize or what they're going to prioritize. And right now, they're either prioritizing him or this relationship. That doesn't mean you aren't also a priority, but you may be a lesser priority for the next two, three months while they work this the fuck out. Go find some other people to hang out with. Go find some other friends to lean on. Go make some new friends because there's nothing you can do about this. You can't anger your way back into this house. You can't deploy logic. You can't shift all blame and responsibility for the cunnilingus that you had and enjoyed with this guy onto his shoulders or face. You are partly responsible for this mess. And just as he's suffering the consequences, he's in exile right now, you are also suffering the consequences. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple of the comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Flora Warnbuild at the top of the show, Dan, you addressed Bill de Blasio and Shirlane McRae's separation, saying that of all the straight people who made the news last week, they've been the most okay. Given that McRae identified as a lesbian for ages and claims now to hate labels, I'd say she's definitely not one of the straights. Forgive me for my whatever sort of erasure that was. Don't want to use a label here. Don't want to call it bi-erasure since we don't know if McCray identifies as bisexual. And I don't want to call it lesbian erasure because if anyone was guilty of an act of lesbian erasure here, it was McCray when she married a cishet guy named Bill. But it was a form of erasure of some sort. And for that, I am sorry. Bill is straight. Charlene is not. And their marriage is an opposite sex one not a straight one. Says Solo Polly, I adore you, Dan, but please stop giving legal advice. Common law marriage is only recognized in a handful of states and even then varies greatly from state to state. And more often than not, it has nothing to do with the folklore of cohabitating together for seven years. Solo Polly is right. I am wrong. Common law marriage is only recognized in eight states, grandfathered in in six others. And in one of those states, Indiana, you have to have entered into your common law marriage before 1958. So I'm guessing there's nobody left in Indiana who is in a common law marriage. Obviously, I have more boning up to do on marriage statutes before I open my mouth again about marriage and the law. Finally, says Joe over on Blue Sky, I'm a firm believer of Dan Savage's campsite rule of relationships. Leave them in better shape than you found them. But my campsite is basically Chernobyl right now. Well, Joe, sounds like you could use some advice. Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question for me right now. Because while I'm not qualified to give legal advice, I have helped out lots of people whose relationships were disaster sites. Never built a cement containment sarcophagus over one, a la Chernobyl, but willing to try. Okay, for more listener comments and more of my responses, be sure to check out Struggle Session posted Thursdays at savage.love where I respond to comments, emails, and DMs at greater length. It's another perk for Magnum subs. For all the perks, become a Magnum sub right now at savage.love. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. I wanted to leave a comment for the caller who recently opened up his relationship in part because his boyfriend wanted to top, which is something that the caller was not interested in. But now the boyfriend is having experiences with other people, but exclusively as a bottom. One thing that I don't think you noticed was that the boyfriend sounds like he's been exclusively a bottom for five years, maybe longer, which if these are young guys could be a big chunk of his sexual experience. So he may be insecure about trying to top or even just feel like he wants to do it with somebody that he has a little bit more of a connection with. And if he's mostly just doing hookups outside of the relationship, that's something that is going to take him a while to build up to. So this could assuage your caller because it's not that he was lied to, but rather that his boyfriend, even though he has permission to top, 
is not necessarily ready or is still ramping up to getting ready to do it. Hi, Dan. I'm a tech-savvy at-risk youth. I loved your conversation about therapy speak. And I wanted to just add something about the platinum rule versus the golden rule. When you're treating people with the platinum rule, you're actually treating them how they want to be treated, which means you have to do more discussing and talking rather than treating them how you want to be treated because it might not line up. Hi, Dan. Just calling in regarding your most recent episode of the Savage Lovecast. And I'm really bummed out that you did not mention female sounding at all to the caller who called asking if sounding was normal. Yes, the person he's dating might want to sound him, but she may want to be sounded herself. Quote unquote female, your urethral sounding is actually incredibly pleasurable as the proximity between the urethra and the internal clitoral muscles are is so close that um, it is practically orgasmic to have that experience. I am a queer woman in relationship uh, to a queer person and really enjoy being sounded by her as a very slow and intentional sex practice. So yeah, female urethral sounding exists as well. And while the female urethra is slightly shorter uh, than the male urethra and the urethra should not be inserted as far, there can still be much, much pleasure derived from it. It is a different form of penetration. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? You can go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or comment. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. Or you can give us a call and leave us a message at 206 302 or you can also go to savage.love and leave a comment in the comment thread. The 2023 Hump Film Festival is returning to theaters this fall. Go to humpfilmfest.com for tickets and to find out what hump is coming to a town and theater near you. Now is the time to start thinking about getting your five minutes or less submission to us for Hump 2024. Making a Hump Film is a great way to express yourself whoever you are, whatever you like, whatever gets you off. You have a place in Hump. And don't forget that accepted films get a cut of Hump ticket sales. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit to learn more about how to get your little dirty masterpiece into my big dirty porn film festival. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me at Blue Sky at Dan Savage. And follow me on whatever the fuck Elon Musk is calling the social media platform. He's flying into the ground at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Dr. Matilda Brindle on Twitter or X or whatever the fuck at Matilda underscore Brindle. Follow Dr. S. Max Vale on Instagram at Max Vale, V-A-L-E-M-D. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week for our installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you.